Welcome to the March 8th edition of the PFF Forecast. We have a fantastic show because we have brought in fresh off of vacation. He is rested. His mind is sharp. And just in time to talk about Rodgers, Jackson, and Carr, the quarterback shakeups, what that all means, some takes from the combine results as well. Is Seth all the way in on Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud? Still a Bryce Young fan? Who knows? We're going to find out. And then we've got Arjun coming on. We're going to talk about some uh, great betting opportunities, both draft props that are new and have been released. And at long last, we have golf with Brad Spielberger. It's going to be a fantastic show. Let's rock. While I was reading the, uh, while I was doing the intro, Seth looked disdainful uh, at the thought of golf. What, not manly enough for you? No, it's too old for me. Like the second oh. I decide it's golf season in my life, it's over. Not all of us are star quarterbacks for I'm our flag football team. Oh. So I'm, I, it's it's more of a, a mind. It's it's. No, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm just sorry. trying to. What is going on? Oh, let's, let's start over. Yeah, let's start over the whole show. I like cut off. That was weird. I didn't mean what to interrupt you that? at all. That's the golf gods. No, no, I'm sorry about that. Start over and go ahead. That's my bad. Here we go. Uh, I'll just I'll just start, uh, Ethan. I'll just start from the after the intro. Three, two, one. Uh, during that intro, it looked like Seth wanted to punch the the camera when I brought up golf. What what's what's wrong? It's uh, not manly enough for you. It's not that it's not manly enough for me. It's too old for me. And I know a lot of young people play golf. I get it. But for me, golf is an old man sport. And the second I decide I'm going to be a golfer, i got to hang up everything else. It's over. Like, I'm retired. Mm -hmm. I'm not working anymore. I'm not doing any other sports. That's it. So, like, I'm not ready. I'm not on board with anyone, any, like, non-senior citizen playing golf. For those of us that don't have generational arm talent like you and can just carve up the flag football field, I mean, you got to you got to have an outlet, right? You got to take your anger out somehow. So, you know, you know, to each their own. I, I'll say this. Here's what I'll say about golf. To actually play golf, you can't have a real job. Like, I just don't understand how anyone does that because it's like really time consuming. But to watch golf is a different story. And it's a great sport to bet on. Because here's the thing, it happens, you know, Thursday, Friday, you put it on the background, Saturday, nothing better than like third round of the masters. And then Sunday, it's like the easiest lazy day, you know, thing. So if you don't have a job like Seth's where you work seven days a week, you know, 20 hours a week, I mean, Seth, it's Seth and Sean McVay and then Elon Musk. Okay. Those are the hardest working people in, in the world. And so if you're not one of them, you can enjoy golf on Sunday. <laughs> That's the try. Uh, I have a question for for Brad. Just let let's let's stay off topic here. Brad, mm. Patrick Kane, he's not a Chicago Blackhawk anymore. How do you feel about that? The only reason I'm I'm not brokenhearted by it is I'm gonna go with some buddies in New York to go watch him play. Probably gonna wear a Blackhawks jersey. Um, but it is tough. Well, I thought he was gonna be a lifelong Blackhawk. Also, congrats to Brian Leach, by the way, the second best American-born New York Ranger. Pretty pretty cool uh distinction. Oh yeah, I said it. I said it. <laughs> I cannot believe now, you know, the golf talk was one thing bringing up <laughs> hockey on this podcast, Seth, 
Uh, all right, let's get this back on the on the rails here. Where do we want to start? So we've got um, Rogers, Carr, and, and Lamar Jackson. Let's start with Carr because we actually know what he's doing. Um, signing with uh, with the Saints. I guess we could loop in Daniel Jones here as well because he signed four years. I think it was 160 million. Brad. So I kind of want to start actually with you, Brad. The the deals and and kind of what they actually mean and represent. You know, were they kind of and, and give us a, a sense of, you know, what they were for kind of the people who want to look past the, the headlines. Um, you know, were they kind of good deals? Were they bad deals? What are you hearing from other people in the league about them? Like, what's the sentiment there? Yeah. So if you did the classic, like, what is this actual contract for car? It's two years and realistically, probably 70 million dollars if they wanted to get out of it. For Daniel Jones, it's two years, about $94 million. If that was your worst case scenario, I think most likely you see a three-year, $112.5 million, which would be $37.5 million per year commitment. And then both guys have a massive fourth-year salary. Cars is $50 million. I'm blanking on Daniel Jones' exact number on the last year, but it's also exorbitant and probably either those guys would get extended or cut or, or something would happen there. So those are the actual numbers. Um, Geno Smith also should throw him in, I guess, as well. I think that one maybe worth a small discussion. $25 million per year is the actual value. Three years, $75 million. It's the first like true mid-tier contract we've seen at quarterback in so long. And mm-hmm. I think it gives them a massive edge, but I think it's also basically a one and a half year deal. And if Seattle's at five, I, I think they still could take quarterback and let that guy sit behind Geno for, you know, maybe a year and a half, ideally two years, I guess, uh, and see how that all plays out. It's the, still the perfect Anthony Richardson uh, spot. Like, I I, I still think, and, and it was interesting, he had that quote where he said he and Pete Carroll, like, didn't he say something like he and Pete Carroll hit it off or yep. something like that? Um, but, you know, t- to be uh, just a reminder for everyone out there, find me the last time a running quarterback won a Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, right. Seth, let's let's talk about your Saints here for a second. That we we By the way, for anyone is curious why we're laughing um we had a long conversation about this very topic before the podcast started and um it it is in fact i should be clear the case that i am supportive of quarterbacks that are athletic and can run the football because it is a a huge uh, advantage to your team um garrett carr is not quite anthony richardson but he is definitely going to be starting for the saints here's my question to you seth um is this an an upgrade they've had andy dalton and Jameis winston on their roster Is there any reason to believe this is better for the Saints? You know, it's funny. It's the way that Andy Dalton played last year. It's not, it might not be an upgrade. He played pretty well. I know the offense is rated higher than Carr, much higher than Carr. I think obviously when you look at Dalton over the past, let's say three years, even maybe his last year in Cincinnati, it hasn't been as good as Carr has been over the same time frame like Carr had some good years up until this year basically and that was a new system and obviously he's going to be in another new system this year so you know maybe that's the reason for that but you know if Dalton played like he did again then then you're getting Dalton and whatever the contract would be certainly not the many many millions of dollars that they're giving Derek Carr so it's like that not really an upgrade. Now, if Derek Carr comes back and plays like he he has, you know, 2019, 2020, 2021, pretty good years, then it's probably an upgrade. I don't think this makes them Super Bowl contenders, which I think they they obviously think it does. And I think that's the frustrating part with this whole thing, where it's like, 
if you, you know, they were, they were out to go and get, you know, Deshaun Watson last year, like morality aside, like that makes you a Super Bowl contender. You know, if, if Lamar Jackson's available and there's, and there's no collusion, then you go get him. That makes you a Super Bowl contender. I don't think Carr makes you a Super Bowl contender. Now, with that said, you could probably make the argument that it's the best supporting cast that Carr has ever had. Certainly defensively, I would say. I mean, he's always played with like the 32nd ranked defense every year. So that receiver talent in terms of like the whole receiving core is probably the best. Now, obviously, there's no Devontae Adams probably no Devonta Adams caliber player there. Um, but in terms of whole receiving core, probably whole offensive line as well. So there's, 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 there's stuff there. The division being weak means you probably get a home game in the playoffs. I, w- I would think so. Like there's a lot of good things there, but the Saints just keep going down this rabbit hole and the, the team just keeps getting worse around the quarterback position and the quarterback position keeps getting worse from Drew Brees so like this is the problem is they keep kicking the can down the road and people want to say like oh they keep manipulating the cap they manipulate the cap but the, the roster is getting worse so yeah you're you're making you, you know you, you have these built-in mechanisms for restructuring and stuff like that all cool everyone loves Kai Hartley it's amazing great but like at the same time this roster is not better than it was in 2021 and 2022 and now 2023 with Cam Jordan a year later a year older you know, Tartan Matthew, a year older, you don't have Marcus Williams, you don't have Taron Armstead, you know, you don't have all these players, you might not have Michael Thomas, I think there's, there's a, you know, when I spin it forward, Michael Thomas comes back, and then the receiving core is really good with Olave and, and um, Rashid, uh, Shahid, you know, uh, Trevor Penning becomes a first round pick type of player at tackle to come in and, and play there, you know, but other than that, you know, like Demario Davis is a year old. It doesn't feel good. And I keep, and I'm going to get very long winded here. I apologize. I, but I, I say this as a thing. Shocking, you know. <laughs> I say this as a Saints fan where I'm, I'm okay with tanking now. And I only say that because my favorite hockey team is tanking right now. I mean, no, no one says they're tanking, but they're tanking. They had the number one overall pick last year. They're going to be in the mix, hopefully, for the number one overall pick this year. And I'm and I'm okay with it. Like as a as a huge fan of the Montreal Canadiens, I'm okay with it. I watched the I watched the Saints starting in 2020 when Drew Brees' arm fell off, and you could tell week three. And I wrote an article about it very early on. Sorry, 2021, I should say. I was like, this is not going to end well. And I'm looking at it like, man, by week three, I'm like, this team's not going to win the Super Bowl. Like you win a couple games, I get it, but this team is absolutely not going to win the Super Bowl. So that's frustrating. Like there's, there's, I don't want to have apathy. The Canadians suck. They, they're very, very bad, but I'm excited about them because they're going to get another, they're going to get, you know, they have another first round pick this year. They're going to get two first round picks. They got the number one over pick last year. Like I'm excited for them. The Saints is like, I, I, they're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. Might as well just blow it up. Hope I'm wrong. Obviously, I hope I'm wrong. Hope Derek Carr is the best quarterback of all time. Hope they win a Super Bowl. It just doesn't feel like that. And that's why it's a little frustrating. I just want to jump in real quick. Uh, a couple notes. I mean, first, I think like we hear a lot of, oh, but the NFC South stinks. Like that really shouldn't be driving your moves. Like, yeah, okay. So like you said, you can host a playoff game. Like, cool. You can go nine and eight and host a playoff game and get shellacked by the Dallas Cowboys. Like we just saw this past year. Uh, second thing I just thought was funny and you mentioned it. The Raiders, the last four years, their defense, their best performance in EPA per play allowed was 26th. 
and the Saints worst defense was 10th. And yes, defense is volatile, but like it's it's astronomical how much better a defense Derek Carr has, which, you know, maybe helps him make fewer unforced errors, stuff like that. But I just thought that, that stat was hilarious. I mean, literally bottom five every year versus top 10 every year. Yeah, it's so it's interesting looking at the odds, right? They were I want to say we talked about this um, on Sunday in our division uh, divisional bets. And one of them, oh, actually, we, we bet on a couple here that we're going to talk about. One of them was the Saints. I think, Brad, when we uh, got it at plus 210, yeah. um, and it's now plus 140. Um, I didn't actually look at like conference or, um, you know, kind of Super Bowl winner, but it would, it would almost surprise me if like Super Bowl winner moved much at all. I mean, it's, they're still 40 to one to win the Super Bowl. I don't remember what it was uh, before that, but it's one of those ones where, Seth, like it's going to help you hang a banner for a division, but I can't imagine that that really helps you feel good about going to the Super Bowl. The only thing that is probably worth pointing out is the NFC sucks. I mean, the, the NFC is absolutely terrible and the Saints are in a position where they could breeze to a divisional win, pun intended. Um, and uh, then they could be in a position where with a couple injuries, like like if the Eagles get hurt, you know, if something happens to the Eagles, Niners quarterback doesn't, you know, pan out. Who knows, you know? Um, so I think it's that false. And that's not the way that I would suggest that people run their team. But I could see that, Seth, in terms of a, you know, kind of false sense of things. Um, I mentioned Gino here briefly. Let's let's talk about uh, the Seahawks a little bit. They're still plus 550 to win the NFC West. Um I start with you, Brad, because we liked the Seahawks position here. Does this strengthen? I mean, is is this at all unexpected to you? Does this strengthen your your kind of belief in in betting the Seahawks as a bit of a long shot? It does. It really does. So I mentioned before, there is the biggest issue. And, you know, we talked about it with Daniel Jones a little bit where like the mid-tier market just doesn't really exist. And yes, Daniel Jones isn't getting $50 million a year, but a player of his caliber getting $40 million a year is basically borderline top of market. Yeah. Seth is shaking his head at, at that number, which is understandable. Um, I don't totally get it myself. I thought they would go franchise tag around, let it play out, let him do it again, um, and maybe see where things end up. But yes, for Seattle, to only pay $25 million a year, and, and the full deal is not out yet, but that is the base value. There are some incentives, whatever. They can spend pretty aggressively. They're top 10 in salary cap space still after this move, and you have all these great rookie contract players, both tackles, a couple starting corners. You know, like they really can, if they want to, go after maybe one of the marquee defensive linemen or or try to mm -hmm. bolster the interior of their offensive line or, or do some things that if you get 2022 Geno again, and I know he fizzled out a little bit at the end of the year, but I thought he had the best performance against the Niners of anyone in the playoffs mm -hmm. by like a decent margin. If you get that guy again, it, like they could be I, – I, I love that divisional bet. I'm not sure – you know, I guess it was 550 already because people assumed, you know, was going to be back. But mm -hmm. I'm surprised it's not even just like, you know, five to one at this point. Did they assume you'd be back at that discount, though? Right. Probably not. Probably not. I mean, I, and this will be this is how we get into the rookie quarterbacks here a little bit, Seth. But I we talked about this again on Sunday. How many teams should be in it for a quarterback? I don't I mean, I don't think the Saints are in it for a quarterback now. Maybe they, they still should be I Still can't believe they gave up on Janus, but I don't think this precludes the Seahawks from being in on quarterback. And I don't think it should. And I think that gives you more outs potentially. I'd be curious, Seth, like, do you think, say Anthony Richardson is there? 
Is he a guy that you would take at five? Is it worth it? Or would you say, let me either trade back. Maybe there's a team that wants to get up there or let me pick, you know, a great defensive player, whatever it is, and try and win with Gino. I'm on the camp that I think you should bolster your roster and, and roll with Gino. I think I probably would say this even. So roll with Gino. Let me just be clear. You're rolling yeah. with Gino, but not Carr. Oh, 100%. And I don't ask me why. Don't ask me why. No, I, honestly, the why is I'm like, with I, you. I, I, I'm just like, just I think that Gino gives you more upside, I think, in terms of big play capability down the field. Now we'll see. Like, Carr has changed his stripes a little bit. He's not the same quarterback he was kind of growing up in the league. But Gino came in and was just throwing dimes down the field all, all day and uh, can hit all parts of the field. Loves working in the middle of the field deep, uh, you know, intermediate level stuff like that. So I think he's you know, great. I, uh, movement in the pocket you know car doesn't really have that as well um so yeah 100 this is a great deal for them just and yeah so real, I, I could probably real quick the on, the, on the car sorry i had to interject because i just thought of this on the car point the average depth of, of target from car to michael thomas is going to be like like two yards it's going to be a, it's going to be beautiful michael thomas is going to have like if he can stay healthy like 300 receptions for thousand yards it's going to be great yeah the, 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 my my thing with the Seahawks is Pete Carroll being 71 or 72, whatever he is. And I do think that might play – it probably does play a factor in what mm. they think of the future there in Seattle. And and, he, and if he obviously has a, has a voice in the room, you know, uh, man, if you're that, that old and you're not thinking about, well, let's go get Anthony Rich and we'll, we'll tutor him and we'll figure it out in three years or whatever, you're thinking, man, I'm close now. I got mm-hmm. a solid quarterback. Defense sucked last year. I can make it better with you know whatever Jalen Carter, Will Anderson. Like we'll see how the how the cookie crumbles. Um, and obviously you have the pick at twenty as well. So that is where I'm like, I think they should go. And 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 also like at the end of the day, Gino. First of all, a I believe this is repeatable by Gino, and b being that he's thirty two. He's, you know, he's not an athletic quarterback. He's a pocket passer. So he's, he could age into 36, 37 at this level. So I don't think you're, you're worried about age, age with that. So I don't know. I'm, I'm pro Gino, I'm Gino pilled. And I want, uh, and I want, I want to see them bolster their defense and make a run with Gino. The, the Pete Carroll thing is, is worth mentioning. I, it's kind of related. I, I don't know if I said this. Uh, no, I didn't say because I heard it in Indy, but. Like someone just mentioned, hey, like Stephen Ross, the Dolphins owner, is 82 years old. Like that matters a lot. Like Pete Carroll, like Bill Belichick has been pretty aggressive in free agency after not doing that for 20 years in a row. He, he now spends a bunch because he wants to win. Like Pete Carroll was, all right, we have two top 20 picks. We have a bunch of cap space. Let's go nuclear. Like, let's try to do this thing right now. And they honestly, they they could. Um, So I, I think it is a relevant point for sure, just because Carroll, how much longer? I mean, I know he has the energy of a 20-year-old saying he's he's talking shit to Sauce Gardner on Twitter these days. But, um, but you know, they're, they're in a good spot. The um. It's a good point. I don't, I'm very confident in fact that they're not going to draft a quarterback, but it's interesting that it does leave the, leave the door open. I think the reason that they won't, and maybe they, they end up not trading out of this, but it's interesting. You look at the recent mock draft that Renner and, and Mike Renner and Sam Monson put out and they've got Anthony Richardson going in the top five. And it seems like, you know, I mean, his stock has skyrocketed. I think he's let's see, two, plus 275 and be number one overall pick at this point. Um, 
where are you at on Anthony Richardson, Seth? And, and, you know, is he a guy that is, is he ahead of a CJ Stroud? Is he ahead of a, a Bryce Young or is he in ahead of Will Levis? Like, where do you see him here? How much is the fact that he's a super freaky athlete? Um, we knew that probably already, like um, if you watch his tape, but where do you have him? Yeah, I, I think he's probably in the tier with Levis. Like I probably have two tiers and they're very close. I think I would go Stroud and Young as tier one. In that order. And and then Richardson and Levis in, in tier two. I think I'll, I'll interject here with my pet peeve of the week uh, while we're talking about Anthony Richardson, which is the pushback that you generally see on Twitter. I'm sure it, sure it happened on the on the networks, um, you know, debate shows as well about, OK, he ran these incredible this incredible 40 and he jumped high and he did all that stuff. And then the pushback is always. Well, he's a quarterback, so he can he throw the ball to the right receiver accurately? And it's like, well, buddy, the combine does not is not eleven on eleven. It's not pass shell. It's literally, can you run fast? And he ran as fast as any quarterback in terms of like you know athletic score. He was basically the best we've ever seen. That's fun. That's cool. That's it. We don't have to talk about his quarterback stuff because that's not what the combine is. You want to go you go watch the CFL combine where they do fucking day one install and they fucking do a 12 on 12. Like then, then yes, that's a different story. The NFL combine they should do is that. just athletic testing. It's cool do to it enjoy things. things. It's okay to enjoy things, right? But what, yeah, that's it. So, <laughs> and 100% on board with this. What I think is interesting and what it highlights is how few people have watched any of these quarterbacks play. This is where I'm going to make my pitch to go to pff.com, get the draft guide, and you're going to get the culmination of having watched every single play uh, throughout his college career is there in the PFF draft guide. You can get it for 20% off promo code forecast, I, I might add. So head over to pff.com right now. You also get uh, Brad's salary cap projections that are um, not just the best in the business, but the best by a mile. Um, and uh, so everything that you need for the off season there. But um, when you do think about Anthony Richardson, like where where does the kind of whole package lie for you there? Because you have him in the same tier as Levis. Levis is not the same athlete that he is. Um, but, you know, from a passing perspective, you know, taking that into account, like how do you, how do you think about him? I think they both throw the ball really well. I'll give them both credit for that. Levis to me is like the guy that I watch to kind of, you know, when I coach quarterbacks, I kind of take Levis as I, he's kind of like platonic ideal these days of, throwing motion mm. which is which is always going to skew my view as someone who who tries to teach that to other people like so mm. like you know take take understand what i'm saying here um but richardson man i remember i you know i watched him they went and beat utah week one and there was so much to like and I think the best comparison is like probably Malik Willis, who didn't who didn't run, but sorry, didn't didn't post any numbers. He didn't run at the at the combine or pro day or anything like that, but was clearly an immense athlete, but like honestly just didn't know what he was doing. I think Richardson knows what he's doing. He's kind of more he's closer to Lamar in that sense, where a lot of people thought, well, Lamar was just this runner, that's why we got to move him to receiver. And he's like, and, and Lamar was always this guy who understood everything about playing the quarterback position. 
Richardson is probably closer to that than a Malik Willis. So that and that's why he'll go in the top 10, top 15, I'd, I'd say probably for sure. Whereas Malik Willis goes in, you know, round three or whatever, plus the Florida pedigree playing the SEC, yada, yada, yada. So I, I've liked a lot. I think he really tries to be um tries to be a quarterback. Obviously, there's accuracy issues. Obviously, um there might be some decision making issues. You're hopeful that you just he just sticks around long enough to 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 iron them out and then he'll be ready year three or four or year two or whatever it is. And they, they go and get a receiver, whoever, whichever team he goes on, they go and find a receiver. I mean, it like most quarterbacks don't hit. We know that, but you want to put him on the Josh Allen plan, which is like, he's super athletic. It might not be there year one or two, but he gets reps. And he's a, he's allowed to continue to get reps because he can make plays athletically. And then you go find him a receiver like Stephon Diggs, right? And then everything explodes. Whereas I thought you were going to say the pick, Taysom Hill plan. That that's the Taysom Hill plan. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, Josh Rosen is a is a good example. Of the opposite, where it's like, okay, you put him in there. He's bad. He's bad, just like Josh Allen was bad. But guess what? He can't escape. He can't do anything. He's getting killed back there. You just can't put him out there and let him learn and grow because he'll he'll he might not stay a lot, right? So like, this is where the athleticism stuff plays in. Like, if you could go and find the guy who's a genius right off the bat, like, yeah, you're great. But like, those guys don't exist. I maybe it's Bryce Young. I don't know. But uh, um, so yeah, I think that's probably your plan for Anthony Richardson uh, going forward. And I hope it's not the Seahawks because I want to see Gino go all the, all in. No, I think never biggest... forget, just say, never forget Josh Rosen. If he didn't play tennis, would have been great. Um, but like tennis too much. So it's a red flag. It's a red flag. I would just say the one stat that just reflects what you just talked about, Seth, where the divergence between a Willis and a Richardson, Anthony Richardson was bottom 10 in college this year in pressure to sack rate. I mean, like, I think Willis is a historically <laughs> yeah. bad, you know, letting pressure turn like, and that's a massive, massive, you know, edge. You start there, you build out the accuracy, and then you could have a dude. Yeah. And you saw that, by the way, in the NFL, that translates, right? So we talk about this um, a lot in terms of pressure rate and often, and this is one of the things that, um, you know, Eric studied very early on was the kind of assumption that the offensive line was always to blame for pressures and sacks and all those things. And time to throw is a quarterback stat. You know, it is very sticky from quarterback uh, to quarterback from season to season. And from college to pro. <laughs> and these are things that have remained the case. Now, Josh Allen has remained that way, but to your point, has a pretty low pressure to sack ratio because he's escaping, he's running with football. Patrick Mahomes also holds on to the ball a little bit longer than most and has the lowest pressure to sack ratio, I think, over the past like five years. It's him and Tom Brady, whatever it might be. So that is something that would give me a lot of confidence. And you saw it translate with Malik Willis. I mean, that was a disaster. Now he had a horrible supporting cast. All those things are true, um, but it was tough to watch, like really tough to watch. Um, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see if a team is enamored enough to trade up. I think there are a lot of, you know, the Panthers are there, uh, the Falcons, and we'll talk about, uh, I think it was a good transition with with Lamar here, but it'd be very interesting to see what happens. Um, let's, let's go to Lamar. So um, Brad, can you set this up? What happened? Are there things that maybe weren't reported or that are nuanced that, that need to be cleared up here? Um, and kind of where do we stand right now? 
Yeah. So, you know, I'll try to avoid using the C word, but I think to a degree it's hard not to, oh. to be frank. Um, and that would be the collusion word, not any other oh. C words that may have entered your brain when I said that. Um, I was legitimately like, what? <laughs> like, what C what word are we talking about? <laughs> That's so fair. That was a, that was a, that was a tough cold intro. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so look, essentially, Lamar Jackson gets a non-exclusive it's International franchise. Women's Day. <laughs> yes, dude. Yeah, of all days to be dropping C bombs. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, anyway, collusion was the word I meant. The word that I don't want to say that I've now said three times. Um, you know, look, he gets a non-exclusive franchise tag for $32.5 million, which does enable another team to sign him to an offer sheet. And if Baltimore does not match that offer sheet, then they would get two first-round picks, which I think we all agree is drastically lower than what he would garner in a trade regardless. So here's the thing. I will say this. Look, yeah, he's missed about 10 games the last two years, and you could probably say, you know what, like the way he plays the game. Look, I also think he's a guy that avoids hits a decent amount, but yeah, he's going to get hit a good amount when he runs, you know, uh, sure. So you can make that argument. You know, you could also say, look, no one really wants to give the fully guaranteed contract that he's apparently looking for, which, by the way, like we shouldn't actually know he's looking for that because like why would Baltimore be telling other teams in theory? But anyways, so all those things are legitimate. The thing that was bizarre to me is, Within an hour after the franchise tag was placed on Lamar Jackson, we had a half dozen teams and multiple, I won't name who, the reporter that said it was their team-owned or team-sponsored media reporter saying X team is not going to pursue Lamar Jackson. Here's the thing. Go meet with them. Go hear them out. If you don't like what he has to say, then move on. But to come out and say that when you, again, in theory, have no, for all you know, he asked, he asked the Baltimore Ravens for a dollar. Like, you can't, you shouldn't actually know that. So, yeah, like I said, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist. I'm not trying to say there aren't also legitimate concerns. I think it's fair for teams that do have quarterbacks. Look, Matt Ryan was an Indianapolis Colt last year because the Falcons flirted with Deshaun Watson, and Matt Ryan said, get me on the next thing smoking out of here. I'm done. So I, I get all those arguments, but it was very, very strange how it played out. A guy of his caliber is absolutely worth two first-round picks and whatever contract you would give him. Um, and, you know, so and I'll say this too. Yes, the fully guaranteed contract is a huge part of it. Not having an agent, and I know this sucks as an, as an argument or rationale why, if if he was repped by one of the power brokers of the NFL, again, maybe he doesn't sign an offer sheet. Those teams are not putting out reports half yeah. an hour after the tag saying, we're not going to talk to him because they would risk fracturing a relationship that matters a lot and someone they deal with you know, on a regular basis. Yeah. So, you know, I, it, it stinks a little bit to me. I'll tell you, it stinks. Um, at this point, I, I don't really know what's going to happen. Maybe these teams are lying. And, you know, not, not every look, the Jets didn't say anything. The Patriots didn't say anything. The Commanders didn't say anything. Like, you could find some teams that maybe get into the mix there. Um, but, I mean, you mentioned Atlanta. Atlanta came out immediately. And that was one of the teams that it didn't come from Schefter. It came from AtlantaFalcons.com. Um, I guess now I am naming names. Like, that's bizarre. Like, with all due respect, that's bizarre. So, that's anyway. Uh, that, that that's where we're at. <laughs> I I this is because I've been. I think people get a little bit carried away with the you know you should have an agent kind of thing, like do what you want to do sort of situation. But I mean, I, I sent this to to you, Brad. Like my this is the first time where I've been like, man, he could really benefit. Like him personally could really benefit from having an agent. Like this is a sticky situation. The thing that you just mentioned, heck, now the negotiation component and like how are you going to do that? And the point that I would make, I think people always get kind of angry about this because it's like, you know, uh, traditionally, you know, the agent is, you know, uh, taking something from the player and it's like they're not doing that much. The player's playing. 
there is a skill to this. And Lamar Jackson's skill is not being an agent in the same way that an agent skill is not being Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson should continue to focus on being great at what he does. That's why you have managers. That's why you have PR people. That's why all these different things is so that you can be great at being a quarterback and not worrying about the other crap. And it would be a real shame if he doesn't get a chance to do that to the degree that he should because of this. And this is going to take a heck of a lot of time and attention to get this crap figured out. But Seth, I want to get to you in a second. Like just real quick, Brad, what do you think the end of this is? Because the Ravens are plus 250 to win um, the the AFC North. The, The Bengals are plus 130. The Browns are plus 370. And the Steelers are plus 550. If they thought that Lamar Jackson was gone. If the markets did, I've got to think that that's a little bit longer. So what do you think happens? Yeah. So one point I want to clarify, cause I dug into CBA. I actually finally got this answer from a team staffer was you can sign Lamar Jackson to an offer sheet after the draft. So one team that everyone brings up is the Miami dolphins. He's from South Florida. He apparently, you know, would be interested in going there. They don't have a first round pick, right? So a lot of people thought, are they out of the running here? Mm. I was able to get confirmation from a club source. They couldn't do it until after the draft. Uh, But then, you know, which is obviously still a lot of time between the draft and week one of the season. They Mm. then could sign him to an offer sheet and get in the mix there. But my best guess, honestly, is that he plays next year on the franchise tag and goes the and goes the Kirk Cousins route. So, hey, you know, how does it impact an AFC North bet? I'm a little wary of betting on a guy. You know, it, it, it's tough. Like, I don't blame him if he wants to protect himself. I do not think he intentionally set out this year. I think it's kind of ridiculous. But, but like, yeah, you know, it scares you a little bit. But anyway, long answer short, my bet is he just plays next year on the tag and we go from there. What, Brad, what is the future in regards to these fully guaranteed deals? Like, this, this seems like it's inevitable anyways. And we already have one. So what's going on? So the one thing there is, and again, morality and and stuff aside, and I hate saying that. I know we all hate saying that, but like Deshaun Watson was in such a unique situation where he was effectively a free agent that was a 26-year-old in the prime of his career, top 10 quarterback, right? And so the reason why I keep telling people like it's not a precedent, it's not going to happen again, is because of franchise tags, right? Like if Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert tries to do this and they say, I'm only taking this and nothing else, those teams are going to franchise tag them as well. I mean, those two guys, think about it. They have th- that would be three more years of control if they went, you know, or four more, you know, fifth-year option, franchise tag, franchise tag. So it's I hear you. We had the Kirk Cousins three years. We had the Deshaun Watson five years. But the league clearly does not want that to become a precedent in any way, shape, or form. And it's tough. It, it, it's going to take, you know, certain teams maybe willing to do it. Um, but, yeah, at the end of the day, that, that's kind of what the franchise tag is there to prevent. And, and we're seeing that play out right now. Do you think is your knowledge around because I think the owners, the NFL owners are a unique group, right? This is not the NBA ownership by any stretch of the imagination. If baseball mattered anymore, maybe we could compare it to that, but no one gives a crap. Um, the uh, it, This would be the ownership group where you'd be like, okay, is there some, you know, did someone pick up the phone and say, hey, look, here's what's going to happen. Um, is Bashadi the type of guy who has that sort of authority, like, is he respected in that way? Or is this something that the the owners are so unified about that it doesn't really matter. And they're just like, screw this. We don't want to set this precedent. Everyone hates what the Browns did. uh, And no one's a big Jimmy Haslam fan. Like, is that, 
So I will say this. So a yes, it's a United Front. I'm sure 31 other teams at the next owners meeting. They, they no one sat next to Jimmy Haslam. I'm sure that was the case. But I also will say this. Look, I'm not trying to make excuses or pocket watch for billionaires. But I will say, like the thing that comes into it here is the escrow rule, and not to get fully deep into the weeds, but you have to put fully guaranteed money in future years aside in an escrow account. Some owners I legitimately think cannot do that. Like I don't think the Raiders, the Chargers, the Bengals, the Bears, like. You know, the, the family-owned teams, I genuinely agree with them that, they yes, they're rich they, because they have an asset. They have equity. Mm-hmm, they do mm-hmm. not have liquid cash to go yeah. do that. Obviously, some owners do. Um, but, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's just they don't want this to become a precedent, which, you know, which which stinks. I, I, you mentioned their leagues. You know, the, baseball, basketball, those deals are fully guaranteed. You know, these are quarterbacks where, you know, it's it's the most important position in all of sports, arguably. But, yeah, yeah again, I'm not, you're not trying to say collusion again, but it's just like, yeah, it doesn't benefit them. And so – Am I, do I think Basadi's calling around saying, hey, don't offer him a deal? No, I don't think so. But I think there's enough pressure to not do it um, that it just kind of maybe they knew they weren't going to have as much competition in this market as, you know, people like myself. I was like the shock this happened. And maybe, I you know, I kind of misread that aspect of it. Seth, what's the ideal um, place for him? I mean, maybe we assume that the, the places that have come out on their website and said they're not going to go after him, which is just absolutely bananas and an, another ridiculous move by Arthur Blank. But um, of the teams where we think it's a possibility, Ravens included, what's the ideal place? I mean, it has to be the Dolphins. We, we've said it the whole year. I mean, like I know a lot of people really fell in love with Tua this season, did have a good year, but I think there's not really, it's not a choice really between Tua and Lamar. So, and you have, you have the receivers in place, you have the offensive coordinator in place. We know what he can do, scheming up, running the football um, with the RPOs, and then and then the the armed talent to pair with Tyreek Hill, and obviously, and, and Jan Waddle. And obviously, like in terms of just, just pure arm strength, he has just as much as you know Mahomes does. Like they both throw the ball really, really far, a lot farther than Tua does. So um we you know we've seen what what Tyreek can do with that and he's already great last year with Tua so we've seen that it, it should be that's a no-brainer to me obviously again like if if, if this actually happens if he does move then it, it's the Dolphins for sure and that I mean it's interesting because um I think those those pieces make sense Mike McDaniel coming from San Francisco where it's interesting the, the quarterbacks that we've seen have success in San Francisco have not been mobile we saw it the only well, example of that was Trey Lance, and that, that was a nightmare. Obviously, I'm not making the comparison to the two. Yeah. What I'm asking about is how do you think um, McDaniel changes, right? We've seen Lamar run a very specific type of system. What does that look like? Is it a hybrid? Is it McDaniel then putting in a whole bunch of new stuff? What does that look like? Well, I think this is why it makes sense is because of Trey Lance. And again, not – talking about the individual talent of the two quarterbacks, but talking about it, it felt like very clearly Shanahan and his people there when, and Mike McDaniel was there at the time, they were ready to go with mm-hmm. an option offense. Right. And like, you even think about this is maybe too much of an aside, but the Rams had this kind of weird opportunity with John Wolford a couple of years ago, and he's a running quarterback and they were, and I think it was salivating for McVay to go and get into this type of offense. And you saw it right away with the with the 49ers when Trey Lance played 
two years ago now, you know, in his first season, they went automatically into pistol and gave us all the option stuff. Well, that's what the Ravens have done for, you know, four years now. So I think it fits perfectly with what Mike McDaniel probably would love to be able to scheme up. Um, you can't talk to an offensive coordinator. Like the, Here's the thing about drawing up plays. They all work better when the quarterback can run the football. Every run play looks a lot better when the quarterback can run the football. So I, I, I'd be 100% thinking he would love to have that type of player and the offense would still work at the level that I think we, we, we come to expect from this tree. So could that be a sign-in trade then, right? So like, I think we're if they sign him to an offer sheet and Baltimore doesn't match, then they get the next two first-round picks that are originally the team's picks, right? Correct. So yep. Their next two original picks, and those would be the, the following two years, I think, for Miami. They don't have their, their pick this year. Um, yep. Would this be a situation where it would behoove Baltimore to try and get a sign-in trade done so they could get Tua? You know, or are they just looking for those first two picks? Like, is there a way that this works differently than maybe just the offer sheet? Yeah, so shout out uh, Jason Fitzgerald at OverTheCap.com who provides all of our contract and, and everything, all that data. Uh, he put out today, you can't you can't do that. You you get, you know, th- this is the constraints of what happens here. If they want the exclusive route, which is, again, why I thought they would do that, then you can negotiate for whatever you want. You could have gotten, you know, three first-round picks, two attack of Iloa mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, on this, the set the setup is you sign the offer sheet, you get the two first round picks. You can't add additional consideration and do other things to kind of manipulate the you know the, the constraints of what we're ha- what we have here. Okay, but you could match. The, so the only option is to match the offer. Correct. Okay, very interesting. Um, let's let's get to the last uh, last quarterback in this uh, wonderful offseason of quarterback moves, and that is Aaron Rodgers. Um, it seems as though there uh, there's a lot of steam behind the Jets. The Jets brass took a flight from New York to Los Angeles and met with Rogers in Southern California because um, he's out of the darkness and into the light now, um, which uh, which he's probably doing some sort of meditation um, in uh, in the foothills with uh, the Kardashians because I think that's the end thing. Um, Brad, I mean, is that is there anything else at play here besides? the Packers or the Jets and is retirement still an option? Does that seem like that's off the table? What's kind of the latest there? So I think it should not be understood. It's a massive deal. Whenever a team lets a player under contract with them talk directly to another club, like you look the last couple of years, a trade happens pretty shortly thereafter. That That is a very big signal. Um, I think it is at this point, the Jets or he comes back to Green Bay and Green Bay either tries to pressure him into retiring or, or, or whatever the case may be there. But I think the Jets at this point are going to do whatever it takes to get it done. Also, at the shout out, I was in the Jets building today. Uh, thank you to the Jets organization for having me. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, so I did some media stuff there that's coming out later. But we'll obviously talk about Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, had, had to give him a shout out. But um, anyway, like I think they're the team that, that that is willing to go there, pay the price. But from a trade standpoint um, and, and obviously pay his $60 million owed next year. There was also a quote that came out that basically was like, the Packers are not even trying to, you know, bend them over a barrel. They honestly just want to get some draft picks because they want to start the Jordan Love era and just move on. Um, I think it. Co- I think it comes down to him saying yes, but I think he could be a J- the Jets quarterback, you know, before the league year begins on March fifteenth. So, so the Jets are plus two seventy five right now to win the AFC East. Seth, 
kind of interest you in in uh, Aaron Rodgers leading the Jets to an AFC East championship? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't think it's the same. Like, man, this year was not MVP level. We, we can all agree with that. I think there was a lot of plays that Rodgers had made outside the pocket that weren't being made anymore. It concerns me. I wrote the article at the beginning of the season saying him and Brady don't look up for it this season. We saw what happened. They both neither. Well, okay. I guess the bucks made the playoffs, but that doesn't really count, but you know, bad seasons by both of them. Brady retires. Um, I brought it up before I wrote the article about Drew Brees 2021 season week three Saints fans killed me. He, He couldn't play that year. It's not quite the same because Rodgers still has the arm, but it's not quite the Aaron Rodgers. That's what would scare me a bit, that it's like, and once this drop-off happens, it's over, right? It's over. We saw it with Breeze. We saw it with Brady. You know, the injuries with Peyton Manning. We saw it with Roethlisberger. It is, you cannot play anymore. With all that said, man, it's Aaron Rodgers. Like, how can you not at least try it if you're the Jets? to go and go get a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, you know, obviously they tried it with um, Brett Favre, but the Vikings also tried it with Brett Favre and it mm-hmm. worked for them, yeah. right? So there is precedent, obviously with Peyton Manning and the Broncos, et cetera, et cetera. There's precedent here. I I, I know it looked bad last year. It pro- if, you, if you're betting, it's probably like 50-50 that it looks bad again. However, mm-hmm. it's a good roster. We know the defense played well. There's some young receivers that, that they'll like. Um, some young offensive linemen that could grow into being pretty good players. That's going to be probably the most important part. Um, it's still Aaron Rodgers, so I still think that's probably you got to go and pull the trigger there. Quick follow up question if, for you. So, yeah. well, first, I do think the injuries there maybe played a role, like you know, the thumb, yeah. the back, all sorts of stuff. But quick question, quick follow up. You can honestly give like a yes or no. Like, is it that big of a deal? Not even the connection or relationship to Nathaniel Hackett, but just like you know, the Raiders were initially floated. Is the verbiage and language thing, like, is it that big of a deal where, like, you would think Rodgers would not want to have to learn a new dialect? Like, is that that big of a deal or is that overblown, you think? I, I think it is a big deal, but you can obviously work around it. Because from what I understand, and again, like, I'm using this one example and I'm going to tell the whole story here. So I don't know whether I should do that or not. But from what I've said, yes or no answer. So tell the whole story, please. <laughs> the Peyton Manning Broncos year one he goes in Adam Gase is the OC and Gase wants to put in his verbiage. And basically like three weeks in, they're like, nah, it's, we're not doing this anymore. So I think there's ways around it, but yeah. so it is a big deal. Clearly you you want to stay with the same language that you've been using for a long time. These are very complicated systems. Like it takes a lot of memorization to, to figure it out. And maybe you don't have that in one off season. So I think it is an important, an important thing here. Um, so yeah, I agree. It's an important thing, but again, you could just you could just use, like, you use the quarterback's verbiage and you make right, sure right. else learn it because the thing is like he's the one giving the play call in the huddle. He's got to know it more. You're just getting. I mean, I know play calls are. We talk about this for hours, but like in the NFL, most play calls you like every bit of the play call, everyone's assignment is verbalized mm-hmm. in yeah. the huddle to a certain degree. It's not like college where it's the opposite. Um, so the quarterback's telling everyone what to do. He's got to know what's up and the other guy's got to follow. So I think it's, it's, it's a big piece. deal, but work around. 
it, gotcha. it'd be it'd be fascinating. And by the way, that's how we knew Adam Gase was was worthy of head coaching, Gabe. Um, so you know, we put, play close play close attention this this time around. Um, I mean, the AFC East, and we just talked about Lamar going to the Dolphins. The Dolphins plus uh three seventy or sorry, no more plus four twenty five right now on on DraftKings. Jets plus two seventy five. Um, you know, clearly there's a higher chance of, of Rodgers making it to the Jets, but I am still interested in the Dolphins there. Um, you know, maybe a longer shot, but the Bills, what's clear here, Seth and Brad, is the Bills are just B. John Robinson away from Super Bowl. Okay. They don't, the laugh. Bills should be don't worried laugh. about their division next year. Okay. They're, um, right now, they're plus 100 to win this division. Um, there are only, I want to say, two teams, the Chiefs and the Niners, uh, who have shorter odds. They're both minus money favorites. The Bills need to do some things to improve their team uh, offensively. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. It's, it's, it, it's all of a sudden, like, <laughs> if you looked at this a year ago today and then today, even though it's like a lot of the same players, you're like, oh, you're, we're, our ideas around these players are drastically different. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, we're like, oh, this is a, not a great roster outside of like four elite, elite players, you know? that's It's not. Good. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> it's it's very interesting stuff. Um, last thing here. You mentioned it, Brad. kind of got swept into the rug, but I heard it today when I talked to Mike Renner as well. Um, Because I showed him a mock draft of the Packers picking CJ Stroud after trading Aaron Rodgers. And he responded, he goes, they're all in on Jordan Love. Eight plays, they saw it, saw all they needed to see. It's Jordan Love season. Seth, are you all in on Jordan Love? No, because I wasn't all in as as a when I, when I scouted him coming out of Utah State. So, like, I didn't think he was a first-round pick then. I know it was, like, late in the first round, so that's kind of, like, for quarterbacks, that's kind of a second-round pick almost. But, like... Basically, like, seventh-round pick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so no, like, yeah, okay, you played... Again, it's, like, great. You, you looked okay in, like, a few plays this year, but I, I got into so much trouble. Not, not actual trouble, but, like, for myself, when writing the... PFF College Football Preview Magazine, where I would look at these like 18-year-old kids who were in the same boat, who were about to take over, mm-hmm. who had 30 throws in a whole season, and they're like 19, 18 years old. They're, they were freshmen. They're going to be the starter as sophomores. And I was like, oh, those are the greatest 25 throws ever. And now I'm putting, I'm writing it down. He's amazing. He's going to be a star. He's going to win the Heisman. And I, um, and I'm ready not to do that anymore. So I'm, I'm <laughs> pausing. I'm, I'm pumping the brakes a bit on uh, Jordan Love. I agree with Mike, though. That's that's every indication I've gotten. They, it's, they're not trying to get a quarterback with the pick they get. They're trying to build around a guy they believe in, which is interesting, but that's what I've heard, too. It's a Packer way. Um, it is, and it's worked for my entire lifetime as a Bears fan, so who, who am I to make fun of it? <laughs> it's interesting, though. I mean, it's relevant for draft props, certainly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That would be an interesting thing to, uh, to talk about. Seth, it's always a pleasure. Um, rested and refreshed Seth is my favorite version of Seth. Um, so glad that you got a little time off last week. Um, participated, I heard, in as much athletic uh, events as most of the players at the Combine. Um, and it, it, it definitely shows. So thank you for coming on. Follow Seth, PFF underscore Seth, on Twitter. Some of the best content that you can find on that godforsaken uh, website. We always appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for hanging out. See you guys. Beauty of uh, remote work.
Um, but uh, I feel you. Um, I, I'm actually, I was thinking about getting a haircut. I got a pretty short last time. I think I'm going to let it rock here. I got to match the beard a little bit. Yep, know, yep. Keeping it going. Um, Argent, we are prepared for not just draft bets, but rumor has it that Brad is going to bring the heat from a golf betting perspective today. So um, it's going to be, it's going to be a good one. Let's start with some draft props. And it looks like we have got team to select uh, players uh, in the FanDuel uh, sports. I don't see these on DraftKings. Not sure where else you might uh, be able to get them, but the likes of first uh, tight end drafted team to draft Quentin Johnson, Jamar Gibbs, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, Anthony Richardson. Um, these are interesting. It adds a new lens. Arjun, where do you want to start here? Yeah, so um, I definitely want to talk about the player team props. Um, have been talking about it in the Discord. If we've gotten some decent value, um, I think we should start with Smith and the Jigba. I think that definitely is the market. I think that has a lot of value. Um, two of the bets I have kind of liked is the Texans at seven to one and the Patriots at nine to one. Now, I, I, I like them for a couple of reasons, like Patriots. I think Jacoby Myers leaves, so they need a new slot guy. JSN would be a great you know person for them to draft at 14. And from the last time we talked where Najibbo was the second of uh, he had the second shortest odds to be first receiver taken. Now he's number one and he's like minus odds on, on some books. So I think instead of going in the 20s, he'll go in the upper teens. Uh, so I'm thinking like 12 to 15 re range. And so the Texans and the Patriots both stick out to me. Both teams prioritize uh, the three cone drill and short shuttle when it comes to what they look for in scouting receivers. Um, I know Bill Belichick, you know, his kind of uh, thing is like he, he likes to draft or trade for players who don't separate, think Nikhil Harry uh, or like Devontae Parker. But when it comes to, I think, some parts of the draft, Smith and Jake Bell also resembles Julian Edelman uh, pretty similarly. Mm. And something I saw was so JSN's three cone time was 6.57 seconds, Edelman was 6.62. Uh, JSN's short shuttle was 3.93, and Edelman's was 3.92. So a lot of similarities there between the two players. And I think. I, you know, both GMs who come from the New England uh, lineage, I think could see JSN go. So I like the Texans and Patriots at seven to one and nine to one. You, you mentioned the the recent Patriot, uh, the recent Bill Belichick maneuvers. He does famously in the past said he thought Jonathan Baldwin and Julio Jones were basically the same prospect because he actually cared nice. a ton about separation. That's like all he cared about. Um, so, you know, went for some big bodied guys, but I think that is his bread and butter historically, obviously that particular take didn't pan out super well, but, um, I, I like that thought process a lot. His bread and butter is just drafting terrible wide receivers. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's, that's <laughs> what it is. Um, let's be clear the, so the market here, the bears are, uh, your bears, Brad, are plus six fifty. the Ravens seven to one, along with the Texans the Patriots and your chargers who you failed to mention. Arjun, I'm not sure if you're manifesting or what what's going on there. Nine to one. Um, the New York Daniel Jones Giants and the Dallas Cowboys are 10 to one. Green Bay Packers are 11 to one. The Vikings 16 to one. And then the Seahawks, Chiefs and Panthers are 20 to one. Any other markets uh, or any other um, teams here that you like, Brad? Minnesota might be too far down. That would be more if he slides a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I trust Arjun think he's going to go, you know, definitely in the, in the teens, maybe early teens, but it's starting to look like Adam Thielen's not going to be back in Minnesota. You know, they have KJ Osborne, who's a solid number three, 
Um, but hey, if you want to, you know, add someone opposite Justin Jefferson, uh, you know, if he's there still, I think they would probably pull the trigger there. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I'm this way. I always I look at every team and go, you could probably use another receiver. Um, so you know, it wouldn't surprise me for a lot of teams to do it. Um, the Cowboys and um, I mean, it would just be hilarious if the Packers drafted a receiver in the first round um, after uh, after letting Rodgers go. Uh, but the Cowboys are, are an interesting one to me, as are the Giants. But I really like the way you're thinking about it. Uh, Arjun and I haven't done anywhere near that level of analysis. So I, I think those two make a ton of sense. If you're looking a little further down, you know, I could see uh, I could see those teams. But is it um, like is this also predicated, Arjun, on you thinking um, JSN is the number one receiver off the board or is this kind of agnostic of that? Yeah, it definitely is based on he's the number one receiver. Um, again, me and Brad, like both of our predictions were that Jacoby Myers were going to leave, was going to leave mm-hmm. New England. And I'm like, New England's probably going to be the first team that takes a receiver. I could see Houston doing it, but I think it's most likely going to be New England. And in this case, it would be JSN. And again, like from Sunday to now, JSN has moved to be the vetting odds on favorite, uh, minus one of five, minus 110 on some books. So um, with that in mind, I think, you know, projecting him in the high teens to some of these teams like the Patriots and Texans are is kind of how I thought about it. Yeah, it makes sense. He's minus 110 to be the first wide receiver selected Quentin Johnson plus 225 Jordan Addison 550 Zay Flowers 600 on uh, DraftKings. All right. Um, next one. Where do you want to go next? I think we should just go to Quentin Johnson stay on the receiver right. trail. It's weird because, you know, the Texans are the overall favorite. They're six to one. The Chargers are at, at seven plus 750, which, you know, as a Chargers fan, I don't really understand. Quentin Johnson's just a faster Mike Williams. And the thing that I wouldn't put money on the Chargers taking a receiver in the first round for a couple of reasons. Um, Tom Telesco just in general doesn't really invest in the receiver position at Indianapolis. He said he wants Keenan Allen to be Andre Smith, Charlie Joyner. He's going to be a Charger for a long time. And as someone who has thought he could, you know, Chargers could move on from him, it doesn't seem likely. And they seem very intent into going into 2023 with Keenan, Mike, and Josh Palmer as their three receivers. So I don't think, you know, Chargers should be the second favorites to draft Quentin Johnston. From this pick, I really like the Ravens at nine to one for a couple of reasons. You look at the Ravens and who they've drafted drafted at receiver in the past two couple of years: Devin Duvernay, Rashad Bateman, Marquise Brown. Duvernay, Brown, and or Brown never tested in twenty or in twenty nineteen, but Bateman and Duvernay both ran four four three and four three uh, four point three nine in the forty yard dash. Both are which are like elite. Uh, times for the receiver position. In addition, their 20-yard splits were also really good at 2.56 seconds and 2.58 seconds. Now, Johnston, for whatever reason, didn't test at the combine. I'm sure he's going to test at this pro day. But given all the reports, given everything people have said, like Mike, what Mike Renner said in his draft guide, Johnston's going to be flying in the 40s. And so I think for a team like the Ravens who value the 40-yard dash and who have shown a tendency to kind of value that trait more, which is something that translates well to NFL success, I think Johnson would be a, a, a player that could be polarizing to some teams because of how he plays, but because of his athletic uh, measurables I th- and, you know, kind of the skill set he brings and something that the, that the Ravens don't have, I think the Ravens at 9-1 to one are it would be a bet that I would put on uh, Quentin Johnson first, or whoever drafts him. Texans 6-1, to one, Chargers plus 750, Patriots 850, Packers and Ravens, as you mentioned, 9-1, to one. Jets 11 
Giants 15, as are the Seahawks and the Titans and the Cowboys and then the Vikings, uh, Falcons and Eagles and Raiders and Bears are all 19 to 1. Uh, people have really put a lot of thought into uh, making this a nuanced market here. Um, but Brad, uh, any other um, teams that catch your interest here? Yeah, so I'm I'm glad you mentioned the Chargers not being a fit because I agree. I don't really get why everyone keeps saying that. Um, I think the Giants jump out to me. You know, you draft Wondell Robinson last year. You've had all these smaller slot guys you've cycled yeah. through and selling Shepard and, and trading for Golden Tano. Those guys aren't there anymore, but you you cut Kenny Galladay. You're going to kind of cut Kenny Galladay, and you need that downfield separator, go up and get it, jump ball guy for, you know, Danny Dimes to throw to for the next three, four years, if not more. Um, I think they make a lot of sense. You know, down the draft, you saw Daniel Jeremiah didn't even have Quentin Johnson in the first round in his first mock draft. I think he was late in the first in his second one. So I think the Giants are at 26, I want to say, but I don't think that's too far down. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, Giants were the one that I was, um, that I thought made sense as well, especially after you invest in Daniel Jones. I mean, the... (laughs) You're going to pay that guy 40 million a year. You better want him to look good. And so, you know, I mean, Dable saw this in, uh, in Buffalo, get your quarterback, a good wide receiver and, you know, things can happen. I'm not saying Daniel Jones is Josh Allen be very, very clear, but I think that thought process um, works in, in uh, favor of them drafting Quentin Johnson. Let's go to um, let's go to Jamar Gibbs next. Um, because this, we've talked about B. John Robinson ad nauseum. Um, people are so excited putting him in the, in the first round at 10 to the Eagles, Jamar Gibbs, uh, the number one team, uh, on his list. And this is just a who's who of teams that the missing piece is just a running back. The Eagles plus four fifty, uh, the Buffalo bills at five to one, the Kansas City chiefs at six to one, the Bengals who all of a sudden are in need of a running back at plus seven fifty. Um, the, the Ravens are 10 to one, the Rams, the Cowboys, both 15 to one. What do you like here, AJ? Yeah, I, it's a weird one because I think Gibbs is probably a second rounder. And so (laughs) it's tough to really like guess where he's going to go. Um, you know, I, I think, I, I think a lot like the Eagles are, are smart enough to probably not take a running back in the first round. And so, but I wouldn't put money at like plus 450. That's just not great value. I think one bet, which it's not actually even um, on the screenshot I sent you guys, but I think a team that could be interesting would be um, the Houston Texans or Mm -hmm. the New England Patriots, both at 34 to 1. You think about Bill O'Brien, right? Alabama OC, you know, Patriots might let Damian Harris walk. Ramondre Stevenson is, is a great running back, but I think... You know, Bill Belichick's never been shy of implementing an RBBC. Um, and I think, like, if he's on the board and, you know, they've kind of filled all their holes in free agency, I think that could be a good bet given his connection with Bill O'Brien. Um, now, I don't know if Belichick would invest that highly in a running back, which is why I think the Texans, who, you know, have holes on their roster, they could just use use talent in general. Also, Casario probably has that Alabama connection with Bill O'Brien. Could ask him about how his former star running back was in Alabama. Could take him high in the second round. Um, And I think like those two guys, those two would be kind of my long shot best. But I don't know if I'd really want to lay money on on this one because I think Gibbs is probably a second rounder and like kind of predicting that would be a little bit tricky there. Yeah. I I saw the Titans there at 34 to 1. And like the news about Henry 
you know, potentially being on the trade block. I also think they'd be a dark horse to take B. John Robinson way too high, but. The, uh, the, the rationale is exactly why this is my favorite pick in that I do think he's going to fall in that, you know, DeAndre Swift and, and, and that range, you know, Jonathan Taylor, all those guys that we've seen go early second is the New Orleans Saints also because Alvin Kamara might be missing the first six plus games mm-hmm. of the season. We know they don't care about anything but getting, you know, what they view as immediate contributors and, and don't really care about anything else. So they're picking at 29 and 40. So maybe they do take him very, very late in the first at 29. And if they don't, then he's there at 40. Um, One other one, I don't know if you mentioned them, but the Carolina Panthers at 39. I think they want to bring Deontay Foreman back, but maybe you have all these extra picks. You trade away Christian McCaffrey and you think you can kind of replace him with, I mean, I'm not comparing him to Christian McCaffrey, but you know, a, a guy that can catch the ball to the backfield, run around outside of the slot, all those things. Um, So those two I like, because I agree with you. I think he falls into that, that early second round range. We've seen so many guys, Javante Williams, you know, I could name 10 more Brees Hall, um, you know, all, Kenneth Walker, yada, yada, yada. Saints makes so much sense too, because the Jamar Gibbs comp is Alvin Kamara. <laughs> um, right, right. You know, when you think about it, and I'm super fat. He's faster than Kamara was, um, but is uh, is shifty as hell. Um, by the way, we are talking about draft props and all other types of bets in the PFF printing press forecast discord, whatever you want to call it. Um, hats have been sent out. Uh, members of this team here now all have printing press hats. It doesn't fit quite on Brad's head. Maybe we'll make him put it up. There it is. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and uh, you can get yours by uh, making your way to uh, the Printing Press Discord. The link is in the description. We also post it on Twitter. You can DM us and, and get it there. Um, let's go to Anthony Richardson. Carolina Panthers plus 340. Seattle Seahawks plus 430. Interesting. Uh, Colts plus 470. Raiders plus 650. Texans plus 750. The Lions 10 to 1. The Falcons 11 to 1. Bears are 15 to 1. Commanders 16 to 1. Ravens are 23 to 1, as are the Bucks. All right. Uh, Arjun, let's start with you. What are you thinking on A Rich? Yeah. So, oh, real quick, I, I, was, I just wanted to make a point on, on Brad's uh, Panthers bet. I actually really like that as well. Thinking about Scott Fitterer with Seattle, take Rashad Penny in the first round. Mm. Indianapolis, Frank Reich takes Jonathan Taylor in the second round. So, there is some precedent there. I love, I really like that pick. And I'm honestly, that's, I'm going to really, I'm going to bet that right after we <laughs> uh, finish recording. But, but yeah, sorry. Going back to Anthony Richardson, earlier in the week before, Lamar got the non-exclusive tag. I bet the Lions to take to take Anthony Richardson. I and I was like confident in that bet. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. Holmes is someone who swings for the fences. He's not afraid to go for it. But now I'm a little bit wary just because I think the the Lions haven't come out and said we're not out on Lamar Jackson. I think they could be in play for him. Um, and so I'm not really too sure on the lines anymore. I think a good bet would probably be um the Indianapolis Colts. I think. They're probably a team where Shane Steichen's worked with some of these toolsy quarterbacks in the past. He's worked with Jalen Hurts, who, you know, in his second year, he was more of a run first quarterback and they developed an offense suited to his strengths as a runner. And I think Anthony Richardson could step into that same offense where the Colts don't have a great offensive line, but they have good pieces. Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, uh, Bernard Ryman. I think they have the pieces to you know, establish a good run game. And then Richardson could, you know, kind of adjust to the NFL level if he starts week one with more of a run heavy scheme. So I think the Colts are like, could be in play. And if they are the team that selects the third quarterback, I do think it would be Richardson over Levis. So I think uh, I, I like the Colts in the spot at plus 470. 
those were the two teams. I think those are the two teams. Uh, but I mm-hmm. think you were onto it in the beginning. I maybe even will wait for some people to bet some Lamar Jackson steam and then get some even better odds. I think Detroit makes all the sense in the world. Hmm. I'm starting to wonder if the thing here is also you should only be looking at teams that you think can pick in the top three. Because I think at this point there is a legitimate chance that hmm. I don't know what order it's going to be, but Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson, I think could go off the board one, two, three. Um, and the Lions are obviously sitting at number six. They have number 18, which is their own pick. Six is the Rams pick. Um, Jared Goff entering the final year of his, of his contract. You know, and it's just you bring in a guy that is also the thing, too, is they're a type of team with Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson. They would use him in like goal line packages and creative ways, even as a rookie, a completely different skill set. You know, Seth gave a John Wolford a shout out, a nice deep pull on John Wolford for the Rams. But like, it's true. Sean McVay was legitimately giddy to have a quarterback that actually could move his legs and and, and do things with it. So um, I, I love 10 to 1 for the Lions. Uh, I think I might go go bet that as soon as we're done with the, with the podcast. A fan of it as well. Do you think the Falcons could get up into the top three? I think it's possible. Um, and they were one of the teams that said they're out of Lamar. So, you know, realistically, yeah. it's either make a move in the draft or, or start Devin Ritter next year. And I, I shouldn't be too mean. I think Ritter is a solid player. But, um, yeah, maybe. Um, you know, any, like I said, as long as you can get the three with Arizona, then I think you're a worthwhile bet in this market. Yeah, that, that was the only other one. The, the Lions, I love just because, as I mentioned previously, how convinced the Lions are that you do not break up a team that won a meaningless week 18 game. You just don't do it, okay? You do not do it. In Jared Goff, they trust. He's going to take them to the promised land. That you might The bet is not Anthony Richardson to go to the Lions, Arjun. It's the Lions doing the Super Bowl. That's the bet that you want to place, okay? Because uh, Jared Goff is leading that unbeatable team uh, to the Super Bowl next year. You can just bet on it. And um, Lions fans have never been wrong about anything. So uh, it's important to call out. Uh, any more draft props before we move on to uh, the great game of golf? Um, I guess the last like kind of market that kind of popped up was the tight end market. Mm. Um, I did see Dalton Kincaid earlier in the week to be the favorites. It wasn't like minus money. It was like around like plus 115. It's kind of flipped where Michael Mayer is now plus 115 on FanDuel and Kincaid is plus 145. I've kind of heard mixed reviews on both. Like I've heard some teams like Kincaid more than Meyer or Mayer. It could just be a scheme fit where Mayer's probably more of the all-around guy and Kincaid's more of the athletic, you know, maybe like a Travis Kelsey comp. I don't know. That's I'm, I'm not a draft guy guy, but that's some things I've been I've heard. Um, but yeah, I think it's de- definitely depends on fit. And I don't I don't know if I, I definitely think you could like Arbin and get both guys at plus money. And I don't really think Darnell Washington is going to go before either of them. But, um, you know, I, I was curious if you guys had any thoughts on on that market. I did. I'm glad you brought it up. And I actually do think I'll get to it. But Darnell Washington is intriguing to me. So. I think Kincaid at this point, a lot of the draft analysts, Daniel Jeremiah, you know, they've said Kincaid is probably the best tight end. If you're talking about a pass catching guy in today's NFL, that is very, very interesting, though. Charles McDonald, who I think has been on the, the podcast before, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at four verts on Twitter. He did a poll of personnel execs in Indy and he, he asked seven different people at a bunch of different positions like wh- who's your number one prospect? All seven said Michael Meyer. Now, I don't know if he talked to, you know, only teams that want guys oh. that can play in line. Yeah, no, I thought. I thought it was very interesting because you are starting to see the the draft guys of the world that have now had Kincaid ahead of him in a lot of ways. Meyer didn't test incredibly well. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't off the charts. Kincaid, I don't think, tested at all. All that said, I kind of don't hate the idea. I think it's it's kind of crazy in today's NFL. 
Um, but Darnell Washington did test off the charts, had a three cone that rivaled players that weigh 60 pounds less than he does. Um, flashed some, some get up ability at a one handed catch on one of the drills and literally is like an extended left tackle. So it's such a, you're betting on one team that just wants that player sees it as a fit. Um, but yeah, the uncertain, you know, I told, I said it last week with CJ Stroud going first overall, like I'm chasing all this uncertainty because I think there's too much certainty in, in a market that should be, you know, that, that is volatile. It's a good point. And you bring up the point around the top three, um, CJ Stroud potentially going one. Um, there is, I think, as a result of some of the things that happened in the combine, some of the things that we've seen with the quarterbacks moving around, uh, there's, I think, a lot of opportunity for this to be a complete shit show in <laughs> the top 10. Uh, teams trading up left and right, teams trading down multiple times. I think um, we've already seen a couple of mocks with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it makes sense. What's Washington at? I don't Plus know. Plus 380. All right, uh, Arjun, you ready to bet some golf? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Brad, the Players' Championship this weekend beat us. Yes, many refer to it as the fifth major uh, at beautiful TPC Sawgrass, and it's an awesome tournament. It has some famous holes. It, it's a fun one to watch if you're not big into golf. We talked about it before, but if you want to sit on the couch, maybe hungover and just pass the time, there's nothing better than watching golf. So that said, I have a winner for the whole tournament. I have a top 10, and I have a head-to-head matchup that I like. So – We'll start with the winner. That is Xander Shoffley. Uh, came in Ooh. second in the Players' Championship, his first time playing. Unfortunately, that was 2018. He's missed the cut every year since. But the most important metric, the metric that tracks the closest to if you're good in this area, then you're going to do all the players, is strokes gained on approach shots. It's not a super long course, but it can be narrow. It was designed by Pete Dye, which will be relevant for later. Um, and, and there's some, there's some greens that have a lot of slopes. You can kind of, if you miss shots errantly, they'll roll off of false fronts and things like that. Shafley, when he's on, and he's been phenomenal so far this year in strokes gained on approach shots. Um, like I said, missed the cut, but has the pedigree. He came in second here a couple of years ago. So he's 25 to one to win this thing. Probably like 10th or so on the, on the list of players. I mean, look, he's top six player in the world. Um, a very, very good player. And I think when his game is on, uh, you know, he came in, I want to say third, 10th and 13th um, in three tournaments to start off the season. You know, been playing well. So him 25 to one to win. Second he gets one, hot, by the way, like to your point, dude is streaky as hell. Super, you know, he runs so hot and cold, but if you get him on a good weekend, he might, you know, he might let the field. So, so yeah, I, when I go on betting to win, I think it's such sucker bets to take anyone that's the five shortest odds. Like you got to, I'm not saying go for, you know, hundred to one, but you're looking at six to 15 range, I think is where you actually kind of, you know, make some money. So the second one is Victor Hovland top 10, um, finished ninth last year. Um, his ball striking both off the tee, uh, which here more about accuracy than about distance. Like I said, not the longest course, but um, it, you know, has been hitting fairways and also is a good ball striker. Again, a guy that's kind of streaky, but when he's on one of the best iron players in the country, in the world. Um, and, you know, he's just, he's a very, very good player that I think, you know, is going to potentially just find his way into the contention here. Maybe doesn't win it, but, but finds his way into the top 10 here. And then the last one, probably my favorite of all the three, frankly, it's a head-to-head matchup, and that is Shane Lowry plus 110 versus Colin Morikawa. So this gets back to – and I know that might sound crazy, being against Colin Morikawa, one of the best young players in golf. But 
Lowry has back-to-back top 10 to this tournament. He is the may arguably the best player on tour on Pete Dye design courses. And that sounds maybe funny to you, but there are a handful of names that design courses across the country. They have themes, they have tendencies. Pete Dye is probably, I don't know, top five, top three, most famous golf course yeah. designer. Um, Whereas Morikawa the last two years came in 41st and missed the cut. It's not a great tournament for him. Hasn't, hasn't been great here at this course. And at Pete Dye courses, it hasn't been phenomenal either. Again, a guy they could get hot and play very well, but I think this is a name recognition, a, I watched for a uh, full swing on Netflix recognition type bet. Mm. And I like getting Lowry here plus money uh, in a matchup that I really like. I love it. I absolutely love it. You brought in the designer of the golf course. And that is how, you know, that Brad knows what the fuck he's talking about. That was beautiful. Um, I'm I'm excited about this. I'm betting all three of them. Um, Shane Lowry also is like the exact opposite of the type of golfer that I generally will bet on. Um, but that's exactly that's the right reason. That's the right reason to go put some on uh, on Shane Lowry. Um, Arjun, do you have any questions for resident golf betting expert Brad Spielberger? I do not. I think this. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I'm not old enough to sit in front of the TV and watch golf for four hours on a s- Sunday or Saturday morning, but um, I'll definitely be placing those bets along with you guys. And uh, if it cashes, I, I'm going to need a celebratory text uh, letting me know that we won. Cause I, 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 I probably won't know otherwise. That's, that's entirely fair. That's entirely fair. Yeah. I always have one last point. I should have mentioned the big thing on this course too, is you got to beat the par fives. Like the scoring holes are the par fives. Victor Hovland came, came finished ninth last year and played the par fives one under, which is not very good. Ooh. So if he actually does better where you're supposed to score on this course, I think it lines up very well. But anyway, Arjun, I will let you know. And trust me, you are my senior year of college is about where I started realizing I was washed, started watching golf. You're you're in that <laughs> sweet spot, I promise. I think you got a few years left in you, Arjun. I would <laughs> I would like really try and and stick it out. Um I knew I was getting older when um, this, so I, the masters is a great tournament. You don't have to be old to love the masters, but I legitimately bought groceries to make myself like homemade pimento cheese. Now I was living in Cincinnati, which like, it'll make you do some crazy shit because it's a wonderful place. Um, But I made myself pimento cheese and sat at home and watched. They, they bumped the the tournament up final round because it was the year tiger was, um, end up winning and they had thunderstorms. So they, they started at like 6am. I'm eating like pimento cheese at like 6. I went to bed at like nine 30 the night before in anticipation, they re-aired the final round right after. And I just watched it again. And that was when I knew I was, uh, I was no longer in college. Once you're in, you're in, man. Is there anything better? Hold on, George. Is there anything better than when you fall asleep at like noon and then you wake up and the and the final pairing is like the fifth or sixth hole. It's and you're just feeling. like, I have two and a half hours of just high octane action, action in front of me. There's nothing better. I will say this. One of the, I think Pacific time is a great time zone for golf because you get to watch golf while it's like still light out. And in the summer, it'll be like light out. It'll be like five, 6 PM. And you don't feel like your day is over when it's like dark as shit outside. It's yeah. cold. Yeah. Do anything. Um, so yeah, Arjun, this is what you have to look forward to. Don't get old. <laughs> Stay young. Uh, that, was the, yeah. that was our podcast full of great advice on how to remain youthful. Um, you can check us out on Wednesdays and Sundays. We'll be back Sunday night for all of you. Go join the discord. We love you all. Peace.